oh, welcome back. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't welcome me back after I identify myself. You welcome me back before I had to put that in. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Trusker. I'm no rock star, but I picked up a thing or two over my 25-year career from techie to CMO. And each week I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, and hopefully share some marketing street noise that will inspire the rock star CMO in you. Come say hello, we are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on Friday, April the 22nd. I hope you've had a good week, and you are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. This week, Jeff Clark has read an article in a magazine. I chat with brand marketing expert, Joe Jensen. We wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment with my chum, Jeff Clark, a sought-after marketing strategy advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. This week, inspired by a magazine article, we dive back into storytelling, the third of our Rockstar CMO effing marketing fundamentals, and wonder if the robots can help. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well. Johnny. Very well. Beautiful day here in central Massachusetts. That's beautiful. I got told off this week by a salesperson uh, that I was chatting to in my day job. And he was saying that he was always taught never to talk about the weather with a, with a prospect. Always ask them something else. It gets them more engaged. So maybe our obsession with the weather is a bit outdated. <laughs> well, I just figure you, you figure you're English, and yeah. and so weather obsession is just part of the national character. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, we've had a lovely week here. A bit grey today, but uh, I understand that we're in for a a, a nice dry weekend, which will uh, drag me outside to the garden. So yes, that's, yeah, uh, that's the weather update. But awesome. and then and then maybe we should shift into gardening update because my my yeah. wife's starting to plant her her vegetable garden, so we can oh, get really? into. A, you know, what are, you, what are you planning? What are you harvesting? Yeah. I think that might be a totally different podcast, but I'm game. It could be, yeah. Let's, let's, see, let's see if a listener gets in touch and, and requests right. a, a, another effing garden podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the effing fundamentals of gardening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Good yeah. soil. I've got, yeah, I don't, I don't plant vegetables. I've got some little, um, little garden plants that I'm growing out 
in order to plant them out when the uh, when the weather gets better and when they get healthier. So yes, okay. lots to do. And so let's get to the topic of our F in marketing fundamentals. Um, back to marketing away from gardening. Yes, where we do nurture things in both places, don't we? Do you like, do you like do. the way I did that? Absolutely. and i know that this week you've been thinking about our third effing marketing fundamental uh which we were talking about last week too but you've got a bit more thought on this uh and having picked up an article about ai uh which is something we last year talked about in the um in our in our one hit wonder or wonderwall series i don't think we chucked it in the swimming pool we did not chuck it in it it's definitely uh yes we saved ourselves the um the embarrassment of saying that it was a one-hit wonder (laughs) (laughs) so so ai what say you jeff well so the um the interesting thing uh yeah i was going to read the article anyway it came out in the sunday new york times Mm -hmm. of uh last sunday whatever that date was here we are on april 22nd Mm -hmm. and um and then uh old colleague of mine at forestry ian bruce you know Mm -hmm. popped a little note on linkedin sharing the article and saying if writing is part of your professional world pay attention so you know you get a little shudder and it's like oh i guess i should pay attention the article is called ai is mastering language should we trust what it says? Uh, and um, I'm sure you'll provide a link to it. Uh, it's mm-hmm. by Stephen Johnson, who's written a dozen books on science, technology, personal experience, and and and, and you know, as I was um, you know, reading through it, I was thinking about the fact that you know it's like AI is is entering so much of our regular communications. You know, like when you're in Gmail and you know mm-hmm. you're writing a sentence, and it'll 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 throw the next phrase out at you or, you know, you're in a community or you're in a chat uh, session and it's like, you know, that what's responding to you is, is, uh, you know, is is some form of AI that's been, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, programmed to to discuss whatever, you know, support questions or to answer marketing or to help to navigate you to the right website. Um, And I'm also, I, I I joined this this online network called Alignable. I, it's mm-hmm. here in the U.S. I'm not sure how far outside the U.S. it is, but it has this nasty uh, feature of sending me emails, you know, with full sentences from a person who is obviously a fake person. You know, like right. Shane from Alignable said, "Connect with Jenny to request a recommendation." Well. Uh-huh. You know, I I already know Jenny, and actually, I think you know Jenny. And I'm, like, I'm like, why are you telling me to do this? I can do this on my own. Uh, and so, and so, you know, I, you know, and a lot of those are, um, you know, fairly rudimentary forms yeah. of AI. As 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 certainly as you read through the article, you realize where this is going and and how sophisticated it's gotten. So um, so the, yes, the, I was like, uh, yes, I guess I should pay attention. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And we are seeing AI content being created more and more. So do you think that having, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with the article yet. You only shared it with me today. But um, so do you think, where is this heading? Are we are we going to be able to sort of say to Siri as a CMO, write me a digital ad with photos of happy people and a call to action from white paper. And while you're about it, why don't you write the white paper as well? <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> Please. Yes, because yeah. oh, I did read actually earlier today that apparently English people say please to Siri and Alexa, apparently. 
And, and, and probably Siri and Alexa in England uh, will not respond unless you do say please. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah. What's the magic word? So I've gone off track. But so do you think we're going to be in? I mean, I've done some research into this as well. And um, do you, how, how close do you think we're getting to the, the you know, f- full pieces of marketing content being created by these well, these machines? Well, I mean, your 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 example is uh, is is complex. So, so, you know, today it won't, it won't uh, do the ad and the white paper and the, da, 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 yeah, but you yeah. know, but it is getting, you know, it's getting awful close. And a lot of the things that, that are, um, you know, behind this are, you know, I mean, there are fairly recent, recently released uh, pieces of technology. There's this, mm-hmm. um, and then we're going to, uh, you know, apologies. And maybe again, this is nothing to put in the show notes. There's a series of three letter acronyms or in some <laughs> cases four, or maybe a few others, um, that, uh, that you have to navigate through this. So GPT three, mm-hmm. which is actually mm-hmm. it's the third generation. There was a GPT, I think one and a two mm-hmm. is generative pre-trained transformer. And so that's, this is the stuff that's able to, um, you know, help or complete a thought because it, it, you know, it goes through a ton of information, mm-hmm. you know, internet, other data, whatever data sources you make available to it. And there's, I mean, where some of the research is being done is in some uh, facility in Iowa where they just got you know big server farms, and so they're okay. they're they're able to go through billions of models and parameters, and and you know it's good at sort of recognizing and understanding, you know, what you're telling it or requesting of it, and then being mm-hmm. able to spit back to you uh, something that is very intelligible. And so you know it's it's um. And sound it sounds human, so it doesn't. Yeah. It's it's not something that you would go, oh, that's obviously was written by a an AI engine or a you know bot or or something yeah. like that. And and uh, there was an example um, where in this article where they they asked the um, the the machine, if you will, say mm-hmm. compare uh, a dolphin to Brian Eno. You know, so Brian Eno's the musician composer. Mm-hmm. A dolphin is the dolphin. And, um, and, you know, it goes and creates several paragraphs of things that are like, well, here's how they're alike and here's how they're different. Right. And, you know, you read through it and you're like, well, that's pretty, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty, you're doing better than, uh, than probably most people, certainly anybody who wasn't familiar with either one of them, but, uh, yeah. uh, it, it is, um, anyway, it, it, it does a remarkable job of coming back and giving you a human like response. Now the downside yeah. is that it, since it is, it's just it's just going through all of these various resources that mm-hmm. that it's you know it it can be biased uh it can it can pick up propaganda it can pick up misinformation and you know it at its i guess that it's sort of uh you know the the naked untrained version is just going to mm-hmm. give you stuff which is the you know that's the downside is that it could be used for uh you know it could be used for a lot of irresponsible matter there was a quote from the the gentleman, uh, Mr. Johnson, wrote the article says using it for anything other than uh, parlor tricks would be irresponsible. <laughs> and you know, he quotes other people like Stephen Hawking's and and others saying that if it, you know AI is unstoppable, it becomes an intelligence explosion that yeah. could lead to human extinction. You know, Elon Musk said it's humanity's biggest existential threat. Yeah. And, you know, and so you get all of these warnings. Yeah, yeah. And and so, as a matter of fact, Musk and, and a bunch of others have then um, 
uh, they developed this sort of open source AI model called OpenAI, mm-hmm. uh, and um, so they're and 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 Elon Musk got out of it for I guess um, because there was some uh, conflicts of interest, but um, you know Microsoft and others have gotten involved, and so they're trying to be able to teach the machine so that it it prevents it from doing bad things. It prevents it from just you know creating spam mm-hmm. or promoting. You know, pseudo drugs, or yeah. you know, uh, or, or doing some of the things that we accuse the Russians of doing during our elections. So, yeah. so it's it's and, and and you know that's it's a valiant effort to try to like rein in and provide some governance for this tool. Um, you know, but you know, governance is only as good as the people who are governing it and that's the, true. versus the people who aren't. <laughs> yeah, well, also with these things, and it's a lot of conversation, isn't there, about AI and machine learning. It's about how it's taught. And yes. I think to your point that, I mean, if you were to point it, if you were to point an artificial intelligence um, content machine at Twitter, for example, God knows what it would come back with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so, and, and or you may ask, that hasn't been done yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But also, I mean, I've played with some of these tools, and you're absolutely right. You, you can give it a rough topic, and they can spit out something fairly you know, generic and banal about a particular topic, can't they? There's no personality in it, obviously, or anything like that, but it will. Right. Right, but which reminds me of a lot of B two B content. To be honest, (laughs) that is that, uh, and uh, yeah. So that that, I think that'll get down to some of our conclusions about this. But yeah, uh, the 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 other well, the other three letter acronym AGI, artificial intelligence, general intelligence, is Mm -hmm. is exactly that problem. Is that it? It's it's just since it's it's learning from what it's available on the internet or whatever data sources you give it. It just it's going to reinforce sort of the most bland vanilla version of content mm-hmm. that that it's going to find it's not necessarily going to give you a genuine unique voice I mean, you can you can say you know please write a poem that sounds like shakespeare please do that and it'll yeah. it'll go do that but then again yeah. it's still it's yeah. it's still not genuine there's no there's no voice in it so that was um gpt3 you were talking about there and agi artificial artificial general intelligence and this open ai model what else have we got to look out for uh, in this space well so the thing that's that's emerging now and is um it's called large language model mm-hmm. uh and it is i mean it's it's just a, a another layer of sophistication on top of these, you know, these other, um, you know, in, innovations, mm-hmm. you know, where it can kind of recognize, predict, generate human language, you know, based on these large data sets. And, um, you know, it, it just does a better job of if you ask it a question or and you want something that's in longer form, more depth. Uh, you know, like some of the examples that they quote in the article was explain the big bang theory in a language that an eight year old can understand or Mm -hmm. write a poem about a French village in the style of Shakespeare or Mm -hmm. so, so that's where you're, you're picking up some more complexity, uh, and nuance that, that were the, you know, the average person would not necessarily be able to pick up that this Mm -hmm. is, uh, this is being automatically generated, but, but, you know, you think about the, you know the applications. Um, I mean, they 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 cite certainly customer service will be transformed. It's like, well, why do I need humans to mm. to respond to questions that that you know a, a, a knowledge base and an AI engine can can answer? Um, I, yeah, I did get. Ahead. It's funny. This came up in a conversation this week around product development 
through my day job. And the, the, the use of AI in customer service, yes, absolutely, it could be replacing humans, but also it enables, because at the moment, if you're in a, in a care, if you're in a um, customer a call center, you've got a very limited time with each customer, so therefore the experience isn't great. But if the, if the AI could do the, the easy bits, and the humans dealt with the harder problems where somebody needs to go through that conversation and they weren't didn't have that time constraint, then actually the service could be improved. Yeah. And it, it really reminded me of the early days of web content management where um, I did a presentation at, um, uh, with, for a client and we were selling a CMS. And I said, it takes away all the drudgery of creating HTML. And the HTML developer in the room went, um quite like that <laughs> so, so, and i don't think you know we haven't seen we haven't seen web web developers uh, being thrown on scrappy just because cms has became in so hopefully there's a positive thing with so hopefully yeah and, and that's and I, I remember um you know when i was at, at forrester and i delivered a, a, a presentation on kind of future of uh, marketing operations we delved in delved into AI and it's like there's just so many examples of where AI enables you to to do things that you were you just weren't even able to do before. So it's not mm-hmm. taking your job away. It's just it's you know yeah. when it comes to tagging content properly on the website or in a content management system exactly. or yeah. uh, or as you know having you know enabling these chatbots etc. That that enable people to to navigate to the proper spots in a website or or get to the right customer service. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, person, it's, it's like, those are things that are like, oh my, thank God we have that. Um, yeah. you know, it, but then it's like when, when it, so I guess the, 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 and the reason that, you know, Ian Bruce probably flagged this, it's like, okay, so, so if I see it starting, starting to take my job or do my job better or quicker mm-hmm. than I can, then, uh, you know, where, where does that, that lead us? And, yeah. um, you know, which is, so, you know, I mean, we're kind of talking about, you know, what's been where, where it is today. And so, yeah. you know, if you think out a decade, two decades with a lot of investment behind it, then you do wonder um, where it all, where it all goes. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I like, I like where it, I, I mean, this apocalyptic idea of, you know, it making us instinct. I'm a bit worried about that, <laughs> but on the other hand, um, you well, know, we're, we're going to be extinct for other reasons anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, we'll be extinct. <laughs> so, um, there's a, there's a product called um, uh, Lately, which I've which I've, I've used, and I've had um, the CEO on the on this show before, which um, grabs grabs long form content and makes it and creates little tweets f- from. Oh it. yeah, and there's lots of those kinds of tools that are using machine language and AI in order to help you as a marketer to to free up, you know, those kinds of jobs. And I mean, I use Grammarly all the time, for example, and it's almost yep. like an AI, um, you know, editor, you know, so, yep. so it kind of has taken away a little bit of editor, editor's job on my writing, I suppose. But what, so what do you think that we need to do as, as marketers around this, Jeff? Is this something that's, I mean, you said it was in the New York Times on Sunday, right? So this isn't yep. like a trade mag or some obscure mag. This is this is mainstream. Well, therefore, it's making it it's making it out to the mainstream. Yeah, yeah. So do you think? So, so every all the, all the reporters at the New York Times are probably reading it and going, "Oh shit, it's <laughs> my next job." What is well, absolutely. Job? I mean, it's it's about them as well. So, but I mean, we could talk about the future of journalism is going to be AI. But what what do we do as marketers? How do how do how do we embrace this? Well, I think the thing is that I think, you know, and then, of course, we've often talked about um, the, you know, the fact that uh, with our content, we need to be authentic. We need to understand what, you know, yeah. what customers really want and how we could, we could talk 
you know, how we should be talking, communicating with them. And that's, and I think, I mean, you know, I mean, one of the things that I, I was thinking about as I was reading through this is that, you know, there's, there's so much that's hard to predict. And, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. times like, like fashions, fashions come out of designers who are observing, you know, what, what young people are doing. And then they, they kind of see what, what might be a trend. Mm-hmm. And, and then they start building on that. Like, you know, who would have thought that, you know, jeans with holes in them would become a trend? Well, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, that's probably not something that, that any automatically or any AI could predict. Uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe actually, maybe yeah. it could, but but yeah. but you know, you, you I, I think you know this is where you know understanding the customer base and and you know and and um, you know determining what is is uh, their again their style of communications, how they talk. You know, mm-hmm. how do we get to understand them more intimately? Um, you do need to stay on top of the trends of the applications, um, yeah. you know, you've got to, um, and, and see where, you know, where AI can be an assistance to you as opposed to, you know, your foe. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you know, you have to avoid anything that smacks a bland genericized language because yeah. frankly, I think one of the, the challenges here is that, um, we just become overwhelmed with a sea of, I mean, communications that drowns out, you know, yeah, all yeah. other voices. And, and certainly we're, you know, frankly, we're kind of in that today when you, if yeah. you're, if you really spend a lot of time on, you know, the social networks yeah. and reading and, and it's just like, you just get it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. And, and so, you know, but it means we'll, think, well, I was just yeah. going to say, you know, will customers, you know, I think, I think we need to ask ourselves is, will the customers understand where we've provided the human touch mm-hmm. and how will they understand that? Or we'll mm-hmm. just get drowned out by all of this. A sea of banality, as I yeah, on. absolutely. And I think that when you know, when you ask the question, what will we do with AI as marketers? Probably the same as we've done with everything, and bloody ruin it. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you know, I suspect that it won't be long before the unscrupulous are cranking the handle on their AI machine to spit out tons of content that that somehow is much more attractive to the Google algorithm, its own robot. That's yeah. written for the robots, and and we are drowning in a sea of a sea of comms, as you say, and and but perhaps as well, it might be that if this level of intelligence could be used in the other direction, which is to help us curate all this content, right, and to yes. feed us with the good stuff. I mean, it already tries to do that, doesn't it, with the social algorithms? You could call those AI machine learning trying to give us the content we're interested in, but then we know what happens with that in that we lose our curiosity and we end up going down these rabbit holes of of stuff that we already know and like, right? So, yep. or confirming our biases or leading us into dreadful places in the internet. But so, this is where, I mean, and, and um, I don't think it wasn't in this article, but it was some other things I was reading is yeah. it's still, I mean, it still isn't getting to the sophistication of the human brain to be able to, you know, understand, yeah. you know, sort of the universe you're in and being able to make decisions and to communicate um, and so, you know, I think that's, that's the thing is to, you know, you've, you've got to avoid the sort of the, you know, either whether it's doing what we always did or doing what we've done before in other companies, just yeah. always trying to, you know, keep rethinking about, you know, who is my customer? What do they want? Yeah. How do I want to talk to them? Where am I going to talk to them? Where am I going to find them? How, and how yeah. do I communicate to them? That's that are in ways. I know one of the topics we may touch in the future when you're talking about product led, yeah. um, you know, uh, go to markets is, is that, you know, 
you know, maybe I'm communicating them through the very product that, that they yeah, bought yeah. for me or that, yeah. you know, so there's, there's just, you not need to think out of the box as opposed to, uh, you know, right. what's my next email campaign. Right. Cool. So, so if I pick that up correctly, those, those four key recommendations then stay on top of this stuff, make sure you're abreast of what's going on with AI as a marketer, use it to get to know your customers intimately. You were just saying about that. We can, we can use these technologies to get to know our customer better and analyze the content. And then I think we were saying that we wanted to avoid the bland, generalized language, which I described as B2B content. <laughs> 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 and, and not to and not to be swayed by this thing and do the easy thing and try and do the hard stuff and keep the human in it right yeah and yeah. sometimes it's almost better not to say anything that it is to just yeah. contribute to the sea of banality yeah um but i suspect that some of us might because <laughs> when we're given a machine we tend to play with it and send yeah. out emails and those anyway yeah. The, so I, know, I, so I probably did that yesterday. And <laughs> <laughs> so we've done. So we've done the weather. We've done our topic. Uh, we've had a look at the third FE marketing fundamental. Uh, what song are we going to play out with today, Jeff? Well, um, by the wonders of AI, there was a song uh, in 2019 that was submitted in Eurovision called mm -hmm. "Blue Jeans and Bloody Tears." Yeah, and. Uh, it, uh, uh, it was quoted as being the unofficial anthem of Eurovision 2019. And uh, if you listen to it, it's, it's, comes from the sea of banality but it is kind of catchy <laughs> and, it's, and it's completely made by ai well i'll um, I'll, 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 uh, I'll play out with that i'm unfamiliar with that song i'll play play out with that and include a link to it in the show notes as all of the other stuff that we talked about jeff and will you be joining me next week to talk about yes i will i think and we'll, we'll we'll continue on our uh, fundamentals but we'll probably get back to the fundamentals <laughs> i like it uh, have a good week mate i'll see you then see you later Cheers. bye Thank you, Jeff. That was Blue Jeans and Bloody Tears from 2019, created using AI by Sweaty Machines, an Israeli production team who fed hundreds of Eurovision songs, melodies and lyrics into their machine. Then the algorithm produced thousands of new tunes and lines of verse from which a few musical units were carefully selected and welded into that song that you just heard. Of course, I'll include a link to that and the article we discussed in the show notes. Right. On to this week's guest. Brand marketing director Joe Jansen has driven revenue in excess of £20 million per year for multiple food and drinks businesses, including Nestle, Cadbury, Walker's Crisps, Guinness, Foster's Beer, Atomol, and Jameson's Irish Whiskey by collaborating with the business to drive performance through product innovation and the delivery of strategies that solve their brand's consumer challenges. I'm delighted Joe agreed to join me this week and make her podcasting debut. She's worked with some of my favourite brands, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Hi Joe, how are you? Welcome to Rockstar Cinema well. FM. Jolly good. See, I see there you are. This is your first time on the podcast, and I screw up the intro, so you were you you were right there on point. So, <laughs> welcome to Rockstar Cinema FM. So, Joe, for folks that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so hi everyone. I am my name is Joe Jansen. I am a brand marketing director. My family and I live in London, um, but you can probably tell I don't have a Londoners accent. So <laughs> I originally grew up in Australia, 
quite different. Mm. I grew up in a fine wool merino sheep farm in Australia, which is very different to living in London. Um, I have, so my experience is I've been a food and drinks brand marketer and innovator in FMCG, so fast moving consumer goods, or some people call it B2C, business to consumers. Other people call it packaged goods, but it's all the same, yeah. really. And I've uh, been that for, oh, shy about 25 years. I yeah. have worked on some pretty big brands. I think there was a, a recent IRI um, top 100 UK brands report that came out recently. When I looked down, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I worked on actually four of the seven top brands. So that's some of the things I've done. And I've also worked on some pretty big-ish alcohol brands, so the likes of mm-hmm. Foster's mm-hmm. and Guinness and Jamison Whiskey, etc. What I do is I I help directors of food and drinks brands to drive their revenue and I do this by actually delivering strategies that solve their brand's consumer challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my own life, I'm a big believer of a few things. Um, One is to believe in yourself and you can achieve anything if you actually try. Um, You'll always have your doubters in life. Don't listen to them. (laughs) Just don't listen to them. Um, And you you can do anything if you if you try. And the other one I'm a big believer in is what I call the two H's, which is your health and your happiness. And honestly, they are priceless and you cannot put a value against them. And they are so, so (laughs) important. Everything in life, everything else in life is really materialistic. If you don't have your health, if you don't have your happiness, you're a bit screwed. Um, And I, um, outside of work, I love to travel. Um, you know, so yes. many many people have said to me, "Why the hell are you still in the UK all these years later when you come from yeah. sunny, sunny, sunny country?" Uh, one of the yeah. reasons was, or one of the reasons is that I really do love to travel. Um, I just mm-hmm. feel it's a fantastic way to learn different cultures, um, widen your horizons, just give greater experiences. And whilst mm-hmm. I am now a British citizen, I've done the full remit of the <laughs> British immigration system, the complicated one that it actually is, um, yeah. I still travel on my Australian passport. And one benefit of travelling on your Aussie passport is you get a stamp everywhere you go. And <laughs> <laughs> so I've got three full passports, which is quite quite nice to actually have. Nice. And, nice. yeah, just, I'm really, really grateful to, that you actually approached me to actually do this. <laughs> it, is wow. my, it is my first one, so I hope I do not cock it up. No, I don't and, you know, hopefully today I might yeah. do something that enlightens someone who is maybe thinking of going <laughs> into marketing or it might just spark someone's thought of actually like absolutely actually that's absolutely that's what we're here for so yes. so Joe what um so you've had like you say you've had a wonderful career with working some wonderful brands some of my favorites especially in the drinks industry with yeah. Heineken and those, Diageo and those yes. kind of folks what inspired you to become a marketer in the first place having come from your sheep farm yeah, oh well, I, well, I grew up as a kid. I was when I was growing up, I loved animals and I always thought I'd be a vet. I came to realization yeah. when I was about 10 that I was really crap when it came to yes. needles and all that sort of stuff. So I was thinking that that's not going to be my place I could actually go. I think I had two very creative women in my life that were quite inspiration to me. One was my nan. 
bless her, she lived to 100. And then talk about believing in yourself. She always said that she was going to live to 100 and she was going to get a letter from the Queen, and she did. (laughs) Um, And the other one was my mum. And both of them are really, really creative, really hands-on, can make, do anything, amazing birthday cakes, sew anything, do anything, etc. So I'm quite creative. Um, But I'm also a bit of a numbers geek um, and I love a good number. And I think, you know, I I can't say I 100% knew what I wanted to do in life. In Australia, you have to do the degree that you're going to go into. So you sort of, it does make you sort of make some decisions at sort of that 16, 17, 18-year-old of like, where am I going? What am I doing? I threw up a few things like, do I go into law? But I could, I did law subjects at uni, but I could always argue both ways. So I was like, well, maybe I'm not great at this. Um, At one stage I thought, do I become an accountant? But I I always loved the creative side of things. So what I do love about marketing is that you can balance that real creative side with business acumen and you can, you know, you can really drive revenue and it's quite... um, it's quite, I find it quite satisfying to actually, you know, walk down a supermarket aisle and go, oh, I worked on that. Oh, I launched that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you know, my yeah. kids, you know, my kids think it's quite funny when they go, what, mummy, you worked on this? It's like, oh, yes, yeah. I did, like, um, et cetera. So, you know, you're a driver of change when you're in marketing, yeah. and I do like to drive change. Um, I'm quite curious, so I'm quite uh you know, I'm always observing people and I'm a strong believer yeah. in we have two eyes, two ears, one mouth, <laughs> and we should yeah. use those in proportion to how they actually yeah. appear on our body. Um, and marketing is, you know, you're in, especially in brand-led organisations, you are the heart of the, you know, the organisation and you are yeah. so involved. You're not, you know, we're not sitting there with, I think some people think we sit there with our colouring in pencils and we're just colouring in yeah. all day. That's not marketing. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got, you're working cross-functionally with all different departments from finance, logistics, all those sorts of ones. Like anything, any job has its pros and its cons. So, you know, a big pro for me is that you can really leave a legacy and you can, you, you know, you can really see what you, some of the work you've done. Um probably a con of being in marketing is that everyone thinks they're a marketeer, don't they? Yeah, true. yeah. <laughs> everyone, yeah. and I think, you know, everyone has an opinion on what marketing should actually do. And uh, yeah. I sort of, sort of very nice analogy, but I think opinions are a bit like bums. Everyone's got one and not one. Not many of them are yeah. very, very pretty, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a great, you, it's a great, it's a great yeah. area to work in. You're driving change. It's you know consumer yeah. insights, trends. Um, very, very, very. No day is the same when you're working in marketing. No, exactly. And and when we were um, preparing, when we were chatting about you coming on the show, you talked about solving brands consumer issues. That sounds related to what you were just saying. Yeah. So I really, I really liked uh, when we were chatting. You've you've talked about putting the consumer at the heart of things. Yes. Um, and it and it helps to solve. And you talked about solving brand issues. Tell us about that. Yes. So great brands really have consumers at the heart of everything that they actually do, um, and they have mm-hmm. really really strong insights. And all brands, even the strongest strongest biggest brands in the world, will have some form of consumer challenge. You know, no brand is perfect, as no human is perfect. 
Um, and to really, really understand your brands, you, um, I really believe that if you put consumers really at the heart of what you do and you have lots of rigor yeah. to your thought, you can create really, really powerful insights. And once you have yeah. a powerful insight, that is a big changer when it com- comes to marketing. So, you know, those that actually put insights at the heart of what they do, you know, as I just said, it, it really does differentiate you. Most organisations will have truckloads of information, facts, yeah. anecdotal pieces of commentary, opinions, etc. but they are not insights. They're just facts and right. figures, etc. Yeah. And I hear so yeah. many people in meetings go, oh, the insight here is this, oh, the insight's that. And I think, well, it's not yeah. quite, that's not quite the insights, you know, because what an insight yeah. is, it's a really deep understanding of a consumer motivation. And when mm-hmm. you understand what motivates consumers, that you can really—that's a really strong, powerful thing to actually unlock unlock growth. Um, right. And in marketing, we, we talk about the five Ws. We also talk about the five Is, the five Ps. Um, <laughs> there's lots yeah. of fives. Um, yeah. Some people argue there's more than fives. Um, but if yeah. you, when you're looking at the five Ws, so the the what, the who, the where, the when, and the why. Yeah. I think, I mean, they're all important, but I think many people overlook the why. And when you focus in on the why and why consumers behave the way they actually do, and that will get, that will really help you to get to an insight. And the way to get to an insight is is to just continuously ask the question, but why? But why? But why? So peel away the layers of the onion, et cetera. Kids are absolutely fantastic. (laughs) My two two would be up there winning gold medals, I think, for how many times they ask, but why, mummy? But why? But if you continuously ask that why, and when you initially ask why, you might get more functional responses. Yeah. But when you keep going down and you keep asking why, you know, ask it three, four, five times, etc. They're yeah. more likely to get to the emotional responses, and it's those emotional responses that will actually get you to why consumers are actually behaving the way they actually do. And when you get to that, when you get to that level, you've got, you've hopefully, or should have quite mm-hmm. a powerful insight, yeah. and that is a game changer because that really helps structure your strategy. Um, it really yeah. prioritises the activities that you're actually going against um, and you focus everyone on actually solving your brand's consumer issue. And when you're focusing on that, you really, yeah. really do step change performances. So, you know. So where do these where do these conversations usually start? What's the first way? Is it is it somebody comes with an idea that we're going to launch this product and this is our message to the product and then you start on your ways on there? Where? Yeah, I mean, it, it can come from anywhere. Like, you know, sometimes, I mean, I, some of the roles that I've done, there have uh-huh. been direct approaches and I've sort of had this brief where they've gone, we sort of know we've got a problem, but we really don't know what it is. So yeah. you can go on, you know, you can go on an insight journey, um, do it that uh-huh. way. Um, you can you can do, you know, or, you, you know, an idea can come from anywhere. Um, uh-huh. And I think the key thing is just sort of having some rigour of thought that actually goes behind yeah. it and actually rooting everything in what consumers consumers thinking and consumers motivation um and yeah. you know and then from there you can you can really really focus focus on things i think many organizations sometimes 
focus on the symptoms of potentially a brand issue, but they don't actually focus on right. the root cause of it. So when you're right. when you're focusing on the symptoms, you can do a lot of firefighting, but you're not actually step changing performance, etc. But so, when you get to the heart of an issue and then you focus yeah. there, that that's really, really powerful. So so for me, you know, because I come from B2B, so I'm not that I'm not that au fait with all of B to C. What, what sort of symptoms are, is it that you see people responding to when really they should be thinking a little bit deeper than that? Um, so you can see a scattergun approach might be something that you're <laughs> yeah. to, like trying to do everything, trying to be all to everyone, et cetera. Yeah. And when yeah. you're trying to be everything to everyone, you're effectively yeah. nothing to no one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, and you know, yeah. people be doing lots of lots of little things, and yeah. not then be able to measure them and see whether they're actually delivering. Um, right. You might see people. So a lack of focus, really, just responding channel by channel. Yeah, yeah. A lot of yeah. headless yeah. chickens running around, going everywhere, doing yeah. things, et cetera. And so, yeah. so you, you do sort of, you do see that. So you, you're you more likely to see reduced reduced focus, um, yeah. lots of small things leading to nothing, um, and then yeah. sort of going, well, hang on, we've had these discussions years ago and we're still in the same place. This, right. When you see discussions going around and around and around, yeah. it might yeah. be that there's a lack of focus and a lack of understanding yeah. of what your sort of core consumer is. So I love yeah. the fifth W fifth W of why. I think it is yeah. really incredibly powerful um, and yeah. those businesses that focus on it, I think, make such right. a step change for it and I think it's it also helps you when you're focused on your consumer when you're focused on your consumer insight and actually solving your consumer your core consumer issue then when some mm-hmm. certain random things slightly come in oh we should do this oh we should do this etc it's yeah, a great yeah. sounding board to be able to say well does it solve our consumer issue or not and if it does mm-hmm then potentially do it. But if it doesn't, yeah. then you've got a good reason why not to actually yeah. do that. Um, and I think, you know, so I, yeah, I love I love the fifth W of why because I just think it's, nice. it's very powerful in your professional life and it's mm-hmm. also very, very powerful in your personal life. So um, for me, my kids are a big part of my why um, mm-hmm. And big part of you know what, why I do things sort of thing. Now, I'm going to go into a, a slightly personal topic here, and it, this is a, a little sensitive one, etc. But and it might be a potential trigger for some people. But I really struggled to actually have kids, mm-hmm. um, and it is linked to the why. So, so bear with me on this. And I was you know for years, etc. It was one part of my life that was eluding me, and reams and reams of flipping testing here and testing there and mm. everything like this. Yeah. I just came back with what yeah. was called unexplained infertility. And I see yeah. this in so many women and I see it so much on, you know, social networks, etc. like this. And I was like, well, that's great in some way. At least there's not a medical reason why. But it, mm. I was like, why? Why is this happening? You know, what is it, etc. Mm. And for me, it ended up being it took me quite some years to actually work it out because that was sort of how my body rolled, etc. Mm-hmm. But actually for me, one of the big reasons why I struggled was because of stress and I mm. took on too much, was taking on too much in life, trying to be a bit more yeah. of a superwoman, etc. on certain yeah. things 
and that had a, that had an impact on my ability to have kids. So once I understood that why, um, yeah. it I achieved what I couldn't achieve. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm yeah. a big big fan of of um, the, the why. why, the why. Yeah, it comes it comes up a lot on the show about the the why and the Simon Sinek and all that kind of good stuff. Mm. So why is a good topic here. A, we also um, when we were preparing for the show, we also discussed one of your other passions, innovation. Yes. I really like this because I think at the moment where um, we're you know looking at marketers' role within the organisation, mm-hmm. the fact that marketing and, and our agencies can play a role in product innovation. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so. When I was when I was a little ABM, I say little, I wasn't, you know, when I was yeah. young ABM, I remember my marketing director at the time saying to me, do this piece of innovation, job, it'll be really good for you. And I was like, yeah. I really didn't enjoy it because there was so much uncertainty with, with innovation because, you know, you've got so many moving parts, et cetera. But yeah. to his credit, I did it, I enjoyed it, and actually, I've, you know, I've gone on to do a lot a lot of innovation i think innovation an idea for innovation can come from anywhere and mm-hmm. but coming back to your core brand consumer issue if you're really really clear on what that actually is it really helps with your strategy and then where you actually build growth platforms yeah. and how that actually links in so there's a there's a clear link there if you've got you know clear clear understanding of your consumers, clear insights, yeah. what your strategy is, then where you actually build from it. But, yeah, in, you know, an idea can come from anywhere. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to yeah. actually come from the marketing department. It's probably a bit more likely to, but it's not yeah. just 100% that it actually has to. And your agencies and also all people within organisations play quite a pivotal role in actually delivering innovation because, mm-hmm. You know, innovation, it won't it won't work and you, you won't get it to market and you won't succeed with it unless you have a very strong cross-functional team. So that can be everything across from finance, commercial team, insights yeah. to supply, logistics, legal, yeah. regulatory, um, yeah. nutritional team, etc. But also your agencies can play a really important role as well. And they can play a great role in terms of whether it's from design. You know, you can even yeah. have like there's innovation agencies. So, you, you know, some of them are brilliant that you can actually work with on, on helping you mm-hmm. actually do that because um, nobody knows all answers to everything. It's a myth that, yeah. you know, there's someone that knows yeah. all the answers to everything. It's, it's not true. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you've got all different types of innovation. So you've got sort of what I would call tinkering so just small little tweaky tweaky changes yeah and let's yeah. put that on the left hand side if you do a linear line and then right across on the other extreme you've got like meta changes so these are like true paradigm shifts so mm-hmm. you know medical breakthroughs and smartphones would you'd put smartphones over there because they were absolute yeah. game changers yeah. in terms of the yeah. and then you've got a lot in the middle sort of you know incremental um, whether it's new flavour variations or those sorts of things, and oh, you've got sort yeah. of you know more dynamic transformational things, but you know both internal teams and agency teams can work really, you know, working really really strong together, yeah. and you you just you just get that feel, and you just know. I mean, it, it requires mm. some rigor again, rigor thought at the start in terms yeah. of where you're going, why you're doing it, you know. The why is really important, again, in terms of innovation and lots of innovation, especially in food. Margins in food are not high. 
yeah. better they're better in drinks, but they're not mega high margins in in food, and so you, you've got to you've got to have rigor of thought again when it comes to innovation and be really clear on all aspects in terms of the insight for the piece of innovation, the financials. Yeah you know, the, the brand visual identity that actually goes with it, whether there's, you know, the yeah. branding or naming associated with it, um, you know, all sort all the commercial sort of side of it or the logistics side yeah. of it. And one big, one, one of the main struggles with innovation is actually making it financially work because yeah. a lot of brands will have, so many brands will have, you know, their original product. They're, you know, they'll have like, say, um, you know, in drinks you'll have, say, um, you know, the, the original, the original brand. So you know, yeah, Jemison original, say, and you know that will be yeah. the lion's share of the volume and the profit and the, and the value that actually goes with that. Mm-hmm. Then to weave innovation in, it's sort of you know, it's got to, it's got to have a clear role, that strategic role it plays in your yeah. brand, um, but it also it can be harder to make innovation financially work because you might not have the economies of scale that you have mm-hmm. with with one of your original things. So that's where it's really, really important to have differentiated innovation, innovation yeah. that's incremental to your brand and doesn't do yeah. a huge amount of cannibalisation. When, yeah, when yeah. you're launching stuff yeah. that is cannibalising 50-plus percent of your core brand, that's that's territory to actually be in because um, so, you know, incremental, low cannibalisation based on a strong insight, a really strong category story, um, you know, and and retailers really really want it and a product that actually consumers will really, really love. So, yeah, agencies, both internal or external agencies um, are really, really key for innovation. And you just – get that feeling yeah. like when you're working on innovation whether um something's really going to you know you generally got a good feel of yeah. whether something's going to actually work and the, and you have a good feel for your agencies and you know all agencies yeah. have different strengths and, and which ones will be great to actually work with um so yeah it's it's good yeah well i mean i'd love to i'd love to chat more about innovation yeah. i think that's a really interesting area because as as marketers we have lots of uh, data as you mentioned earlier on and, and we can really support that i think both in terms of b2c and b2b particularly as technology moves to SaaS. but we're coming we're we're, well over, we're a little over time so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna um, leap to our final question okay which is, uh, we have a regular feature on the rockstar cmo called the Rockstar CMO Swim Pool, our portal to hell for overhyped trends, BS and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. What would you chuck into our pool? I would chuck into the pool generational labels. So I love it. Uh, <laughs> so there's two there's two things that really like when when I hear people talk about millennials, generation yeah. X, generation Z, yeah. I'm just like consumers do not think that way. I have never yeah. ever considered myself Gen X. I know yeah. that my, you know, I don't know anyone that walks around and says, I'm a millennial, I'm a Gen X, yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a baby yeah. boomer, et cetera. And when you yeah. come back to, you know, really understanding your consumers, you need to think like them and consumers yeah. just don't think that way. And yeah. and the breadth of age, you know, a millennial is what is between 1981 to 1996. So you're talking people that are yeah. sort of between 26 and 41. The things that's going on yeah. in your life between a twenty-six-year-old, I know, what are you on your yeah, own? You know, yeah. when you look back and you think, like you just, 
your life is just so different. So that's what I chuck into the pool, generational labels. I love it. Yeah, I love it, and um, I've. Uh, I think there's a there's a book about value graphics, which is which is that we should look at um, values of our of, of our audience rather than their age as a, as a better mark of that. So I love the idea of throwing these demographics. Let's put this. some weights. That's on fantastic. It. I love it. I put some weights on it. I love it. And and Joe, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Oh, um, they can find me. I'm, I'm actually not a mega person in terms of social social media, etc. I know that goes that goes against what you should be, etc. But people probably can find me. They can find me on LinkedIn. Um, just reach out yeah. to me on LinkedIn. Um, you know, really happy to help anyone have, have conversations with anyone about things, etc. So. Yeah, it's um, thank Spend you. It. Well, I'll include your LinkedIn link in the show notes. Thank and you. thank you very much for your time, Joe. I very much enjoyed speaking to you. And I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. If you liked our conversation, please look out for Joe on LinkedIn. I'll include that link in the show notes and say hello. It was her first time. Right, it's Friday evening. Time to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and find my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing... Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend. Welcome to the bar. Welcome to the end of the week and welcome to the bar. Uh, Tonight, you know, I have, uh, you know, I've got a little Billy Joel playing in the background. Um, You know, whether you do or not in the bar is up to you. I I know (laughs) we don't want to. We don't want to run afoul of the copyright police here, but um, <laughs> but I have a little bit, bit of Billy Joel, so I've got a little New York on my mind at the moment, and so um, I have a drink that's called a New York Sour for us this evening, mm-hmm. um, which is actually, interestingly, uh, not invented in New York. It was invented in Chicago, um, and it, this was back in the 1880s, and it's a. The interesting thing is, is that it's a classic uh, whiskey sour, which of course we mm-hmm. all know and have had on this show before. We um, have, but it is a little different. Um, and the way that it's a little different is that you have a whiskey sour, and and I recommend a bourbon here um, mm-hmm. uh, rather than something else. But a bourbon is is always good uh, for this. And then you have a little bit of lemon juice. And then when you make your, so you make it like a classic whiskey sour there, um, yeah. you know, and again, it calls for a simple syrup of sugar. I don't, I mm. skip that part because I just don't, yeah. you know, if you need it to be a little bit of sweetness, add a little honey or something in there, which is nice. always nice. But I, you know, I yeah. don't need that, that level of sweetness. But then, then here's the thing. You've made the drink. Uh-huh. Now pour in just the tiniest, well, not a tiny bit, but, you know, a, a, a little bit of red wine over the top of it. Wow. And, and it forms this layer. The red wine will form this layer over the top, which is mm-hmm. just beautiful, by the way. It just makes for mm-hmm. a very pretty drink. But it's also surprisingly tasty. Um, wow. So basically you just, you know, just, you, and, and what you want to do is, is, is use a spoon, if you can, to spoon mm-hmm. in the... The red wine, so it doesn't sort of you know 
pierce the, mm. the, the, the layer of the whiskey and you just yeah. gently pour it on top and, and you, it, you will amaze your friends, first of all, with how beautiful this cocktail looks, but then mm-hmm. um, more than that, it becomes a, a lovely tasting thing as well. I love the sound of that. Uh, and um, I think I made the whiskey sour that you did on the, the show, but I forgot to put any sweet in it because you didn't put the sugars, and that was quite sour. It was delicious, absolutely delicious. And, um, and by the way, uh, not many people know this. I don't talk about it very much, but it's actually Billy Joel who's playing the piano music in the background. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a, one of his unknown tracks. <laughs> well, yeah, there you go. <laughs> so a little I bit of shall... unknown Billy Joel, right? Yeah. Which makes it all the more ironic that we don't know that it actually is Billy Joel. <laughs> but, but we're just going to pretend that it is. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's really what this show is about, isn't it? About transporting us away and, and pretending. Anyway, as you heard, I'm going to attempt to make this uh, drink with the ingredients on my desktop bar. I, um, I've put some ice in. You put ice into that, didn't you? Uh, I did, yes. You know, you make it like a traditional, make your just uh, your traditional whiskey sour in there. Oh, right, uh, cool. I, I, I'm suspecting that you're probably going to have a couple of substitutions <laughs> in there. But other than that, it's a, just a straight whiskey sour, and then the wine is spooned in very mm-hmm. gently. All right, so what I've done is I'm using the most English of bourbons, uh, yes. Hendrix gin. I'm back on the Hendrix ah, again this week. Yes, I see. It's, it's, a little, it's a little lighter, actually, than most bourbons. <laughs> exactly. And what I'm going to spoon in is, um, is, some, is, some, is some tonic um, that's, that's brought to us by the lovely people at Fever Tree, Cucumber Tonic Water. Now that I've got ads <laughs> on the show, people might actually think I'm sponsored by Fever Tree. I really should be, shouldn't I? You, yeah, you should reach out to them. You should have your team of salespeople yes. that I know you employ uh, exactly. to to reach out to those people. Yes, uh, I'm surprised they aren't already. And you know, you should you know you should make the call and say, "Don't you know who I am? I, you know, <laughs> I am an influencer. I need the I need your influencer department, please." <laughs> Absolutely, and I'll send them a photo of me with my influencer <laughs> duck face. <laughs> standing in front of a bottle of fever tree That's um exactly i'm right. going to get this go so i've spooned in just for, for the list i've spooned in some of this lovely tonic water mm. that is delicious robert i could drink one of these every week what do we call it i suspect you might yes uh-huh and what do we call it uh well we call that the new york sour and um mm. and, and if your next question is as i suspect it might be where are we going to be drinking this lovely thing mm-hmm. we are going to go to new york yes we are nice. going to we are going to enjoy a new york because i have new york on my mind right now and it just feels right. like i haven't been in it feels like i haven't been in years and years and years yeah. and and it, and it, and and when i think about it that's true i have not been to new york in almost two and a half almost three years now so it's Jeez. It's crazy making uh, for me because yeah. I love that city so much. So yeah. got to get to yeah. New York and just do all the things. Hashtag all the things. All the things. Well, as you know, I used to be based there. We've drunk in New York before. I know. I know. To, We've I had plenty to... of time in New York. Yeah. Yes. I, I had an office uh, on, of Times Square, was living in Connecticut, came into Grand Central. I mean, there's nothing better than that to get that. Yeah, that that's right. Well. That's right. And I haven't, been, I haven't been for even longer. And it's the longest period of time. In my whole career since 1996, just to show my age completely, that I had uh, the longest period in my life where I've not been to America. It's wow. astonishing. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so you haven't been for years. I haven't been for years. So where, where are we? Are we going to, are we really going to do it nice? One of those really nice bars in New York. 
We should. Mm. Yeah. 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 So we're sipping these drinks in, in one of those classy bars. Maybe, maybe we've had a steak. What do you think? I think of, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, you know, and this would go, this, this drink goes very well with uh, a nice steak of some mm. kind. Mm. So the conversation has turned from drinking and to how many years we haven't been in New York to marketing. And what are we going to talk about this week, Robert? Well, I think this week we're going to talk a little bit about listening. Um, oh, you know, and, and we often think about, uh, this is something that's been on my mind, uh, for, you know, I've been thinking a bit about how we create content and I don't mean just content marketing, like thought leadership or inspiration or entertainment or those kinds of things. I mean, full on how a business decides to create marketing and communications content and what we're going to talk about. And what I find is, is that in so many ways, uh, and actually data shows this, um, what we do in marketing is we're, we're not listening to customers as much as we are just waiting to speak. Right. You know, and it's Mm -hmm. the, it's the classic, you know, active listening idea, right. You know, it's, it's like when you're sitting in that, you're sitting in that meeting and, you know, you're, you're watching on Zoom and someone's presenting, you know, a, a big presentation and you're sitting there going, wow, that's a lot of data that she just laid out. Do I agree with it? Mm-hmm. Which statement should I respond to? Oh, I need to sound smart. Should I ask a question now? How about now? <laughs> oh, I'm ready now. Oh, I'm ready with an answer. I've got an answer for that. I'm going to write that down. I should say something really cool here to sound smart. I wonder what time the dry cleaner closes. I've, and you're, all yeah. you're doing is just waiting for your opportunity to insert something there for whatever reason it is. Mm-hmm. And that's marketing in a nutshell, right? I mean, it's, mm. you know, the, the classic of this is that I, 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 and I just heard about this, you know, um, and, but it's something you hear every day where, you know, a, a, a customer comes in to the website, they, download a white paper and then they go register for a webinar or something like that. Oh my gosh, the algorithm sees they've done two things. It triggers the Mm -hmm. conversion algorithm and off it Mm -hmm. goes to a salesperson and the salesperson then, you know, basically calls up that consumer who is just trying to like understand the space and trying to understand the options available to him or her. And the salesperson goes, "Uh uh-huh. How many licenses would you like today? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and so we're just waiting to speak. And so what I find is is that there is a value in waiting uh just listening. Just yeah. just literally listening. And it's yeah. and it, the funny thing is, you know, I mean, I've learned this over 30 years of marriage, right? I mean, there are times <laughs> when you just listen. <laughs> and you're not there to fix something. You're not there to make it better. You're not there mm-hmm. to try and tweak, you know, and, and yeah. all those things. You're just there to listen and to mm-hmm. and to hear things. And that's hard for marketing and or salespeople because yeah. our whole job is to listen for the trigger that says, great, now let me help you fix your need or your want. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and when I think about this, it's, you know, we often think of, oh, yes, what we'll do is we'll employ a technology solution to listen better, right? To be able mm-hmm. to deliver a better, uh, uh, you know, answer to our consumers, like personalization, right? We'll put in personalization. Yeah. But personalization is honestly the quintessential waiting to speak, right? It, it yeah. is literally finding 
just the right amount of information to insert whatever the best response that it has at its fingertips are. Yeah. And that's why personalization is usually so poorly done, even by companies like Amazon, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's just enough information to be wrong, right? <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. in other words, you bought this and you bought that and you bought this. Well, we're going to recommend that. Well, yeah. I just bought that. And that's all <laughs> yeah, you know, and so anyway, all of that to say, is there something we can do? And one of the things that I have found really interesting results in is to just change up how we ask questions on our websites or our landing pages or the gates to our thought leadership. You know, for example, polls and surveys, we often use sort of the a, B, C, D, you know, multiple choice on polls and yeah. surveys, because why we want to be able to rank and, you know, sort yeah. the data by quantitative measures so that we can make some response to it. Yeah. Instead, what if we did a poll survey where everything was just open-ended? Like, just tell us how you're feeling, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or actually going out and doing interviews with customer personas where we're not there to say, Hey, listen, what do you think about this interface? And what do you think about this message? Or what do you think about this logo? Yeah. Instead, we just listen, we just listen to what they have to say. Or, and this is my favorite one to do of late. This is an experiment that I've, 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 I've suggested a couple of times is that, you know, how we gate white papers or eBooks yep. on our websites and the gating is usually some sort of identifiable piece of, you know, your name, your title, your buying stage, yeah. your email address, all these things. What if instead of gating it with that, we literally just gate the white paper with, tell us why you're downloading this. Just like literally type it into a thing. That's the gate. I love it. T tell us why you're downloading this paper. Just looking around. Yeah. I'm trying to get educated. I want to copy it for, because I'm a competitor, you know, tell us why. And that yeah. gets you the white paper. And just yeah. listening can give us so much better insight that that can be a valuable exercise as well. And that's what's on my mind. I love that. And, and I love that idea that um, we can incentivize feedback in that way. That instead, of, that for me, maybe the most useful thing I can get from this person that wants this white paper is their opinion and not their email address. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. So you can start to understand how they feel rather than yeah. who they are. Yeah. And I also, I really like that. I, I mean, that phrase that we're waiting to speak, it certainly sounds like my podcast interview technique. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, what, what I like there is you, you, you're right. That's what the conversation is, is that we're listening only just enough in order to, 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 to tell them something about ourselves. And, and from a B2B perspective, that's all we do, isn't it? Talk about ourselves. Well, and the funny thing is the irony of it all is that <laughs> personalization engines actually get more accurate the less that they speak and the more that they listen, right? In yeah, other words, yeah. the more data that is assembled before a piece of content is presented is yeah. usually more accurate. So yeah. if you sort of run that equation, personalization systems should never, you know, really ever uh, present a piece of content because the more they listen, the better they'll get. Yeah. And and so, of course, at some point you have to, because that's the whole point of a personalization system is yeah. that it is personalizing. But it's always that question of how much data do you need in order to mm -hmm. provide a contextually relevant piece of content to someone in that moment? And the answer is almost always, well, more would be better, right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and so the listening is, is, you know, more is almost always better. But of course... 
there is a you know there is a a declining rate of return i suppose before mm-hmm. you actually speak in a marketing sense but what i think that also shows is that some would be good some yeah. listening would be good yeah well i mean these days we've got um dynamic forms and that kind of thing right there's no reason why some of our um, some of our, our good stuff, some of our white papers can be gated in the traditional way and some of it gated in this way. And, you know, you can, you can do that split and figure out, figure out what's working best. And you may find that actually your message gets spread and heard more. I mean, I, I fucking hate gates anyway, but if, yeah. <laughs> it spreads more because you're, you're asking a human question and, and it might be a huge relief to them that they don't have to give you their email address. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, you know, yeah. and, 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 you know, sharing that yeah with a you know with a uh you know with and this is especially true for example where we may already know or we should already know who they are you know yeah. how many times have you gone back to a website oh, and yeah. you know and you're you're going for that second yeah. white paper yeah. you know cough gartner cough um and, <laughs> and and you have to yet put in your email address again yeah. And then what, what annoys me so much is that when you put in your email address for that second time, this, the, they go, oh, welcome back. It's like, no, 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 no. You don't <laughs> welcome me back after I identify myself. You welcome me back before I had to put that in. That's called listening. And, you know, I love that. Yeah. And also, I think as well, this, I, 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 what came into my mind then, because I don't know what you're going to talk about on these things, but what came into my mind then as well is, is taking this approach to how you look at your data. So, for example, when we look at web an- analytics, we're typically looking at vanity metrics about us, right? We should be actually looking at that in that same way is, is that we're, what is the customer doing and thinking? What can we discern about what, how they're viewing this and their behavior from a listening perspective rather than, oh, they, it, it took them five, five pages to get to one of our calls to action. We need to put that call to action somewhere else. Do you see what I mean? Right. Like, we need to make easy. it sooner. Yeah. We need yeah. to make it, we made, we need yeah. to make it earlier so that we yeah. actually, you know, and, and I mean, we've talked about this before where, yeah you know, we get so wrapped around the axle of trying to quote unquote, remove friction mm-hmm. um, that we forget that sometimes friction is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and that slowing someone down is a good thing, you know, yeah. and it's, it's yeah. it, it can be, it, it can be a, it can be both, both for the business and for the consumer to slow them down a little bit and say, Hey, listen, just, yeah. you know, you know, take a moment, take a breath and, and get what you need. Yeah, have a look around. Yeah, I love it. All right, that's a great thought. Thank you very much, Robert. And I'm um, loving this drink also. And the, you know, you outing Billy Joel is playing in the background. That's fantastic. Um, so where might people hear, uh, be able to read your thoughts where you're listening? Well, they could, sh- they could show up now, um, mm-hmm. which I'm a little more pleased to say now to go to contentadvisory.net, which is our little hovel on the web, because mm-hmm. we've just spruced up the joint a little bit we've um nice. we've put some new content up we've gotten you know we've cleaned up the navigation a bit we've mm-hmm. added some things that weren't there and 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 ostensibly just you know gotten a little sharper with our website nice. design we had a little cobbler's kids thing going on there for a while but yeah. spent a couple and of weekends all... and got it all shaped up nice and so will we continue to call it a hovel then 
We could uh, give it you know, yes, of course, <laughs> because it's not like we upgraded it to a mansion or anything. We just <laughs> we just pulled the cobwebs out of the corner is really all we did. Cool. So that's contentadvisory.net. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, Robert, where are they going to find you? Uh, well, they'll currently find me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Although if Elon continues his little adventure here, who knows what the <laughs> hell I'll be on Twitter or not. But currently, well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there'll be a lot of listening going on then when, when his champion, his form of free speech takes Indeed. grip of Twitter. <laughs> All right, mate. And will I see you in the bar next week? Of course. Excellent. Well, I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. And that piano music is clearly not Billy Joel, of course, but a chat called Johnny Easton, shared under a Creative Commons license, and you can find a link to it in the show notes. So, that's a wrap on episode 111 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track, and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Joe, and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work, and check out all the links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another Effing Martin podcast? Let us know on the socials, or drop a rating or review in your favorite podcast app. Or, just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, as you heard, Jeff and Robert will be back. And my guest will be Laurie Jones, CEO of Adversec Communications. And until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll join us here again next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.